Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time this morning that we can come into your presence and hear your voice through the scriptures. Lord, we pray that we may understand what you have said. May it be profitable to us us this morning because your Holy Spirit is coming alongside us, is coming into us and sharing what you intended us to hear from your word this morning. May it help us, may he help us to understand what you have said so that we may learn from your word this morning how to be Christians and how to be more faithful as we live for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, finding people or finding things can be difficult. I've recently started to play hide-and-seek with my son Joshua. He's only two and a half, and he's now getting to that age where I actually think he's quite entertaining to be around. When they're very small, yes, they're entertaining in that you can smile at the baby as it does certain things, but now I can actually start to play with Joshua. And he loves me to run away to some part in the house and him to have to try and find me. And sometimes I make it easy, sometimes I make it very difficult for him to find me. Uh, one of the best places, please don't tell him, is under a blanket. So I'll run to his room, get into the bed, pull the blanket over me, and he has no idea that I'm there. He just doesn't think uh, of looking under a blanket. And But when I'm in a difficult spot, I often make noises. I give him little clues as to where I am by just either knocking on walls or doors if I'm behind a door or calling out, making little noises. And he expects those noises. He starts to make noises of, ah, ah. He can't really speak yet, but he makes those noises of, where are you? Give me a clue as to where you are. This morning we're looking at a passage of Scripture which talks about people finding other people as well. And it's particularly the Magi, the wise men. They're trying to find Jesus. They're trying to find him as the king of the Jews. And we see that in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 2. If you've got a black church Bible, it's page 956. And I encourage you to have that open as we look through this passage together. Matthew 2, page 956, verse 2. We see these Magi state that they're on a manhunt. Verse 2, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? These guys are clearly looking for someone, and not just anyone. They're looking for a very important person. They're looking for the king of the Jews. And they've been given some clues to get to this point where they are in verse 2. They've come all the way to Jerusalem in Judea. Uh, Israel. We see that from if we read from verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Now how did they get there? How did they know the King of the Jews wasn't born in Egypt? Why are they looking for him here? Well, the next uh, uh, sentence says so in verse 2 as to how they got there. What was the clue? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. They've had this clue, which was a star in the east, that Jesus was going to be born in Israel. So they've narrowed it down to Israel. But Israel, of course, is a big country. Not as big as Australia, but Australia, we have a lot of people here, but a lot of desert in the, in the middle. Israel had a lot of people in it as well. It's a big country. They've narrowed the, the search down to a whole country. 
but that still makes life difficult. And so they need extra clues. Just like my son Joshua, the first time I call out with a clue as to where I am, he doesn't quite hear it, and he needs another clue, another clue as to where I am. And so these magi, these wise men, these men who have come from the east, they are not Jews, they've come to find this king of the Jews, they need another clue. And so how do they find Jesus next? What's the next clue that they, have, they receive? Well, that brings me to my first main point this morning. The Magi find Jesus through prophecy. We dealt with the star last Christmas. We've been slowly working through this passage each Christmas that I've been here. The star we dealt with last Christmas. This, uh, this Christmas, as we lead up to it, I want to firstly point out that they find Jesus through prophecy. If you want to see my main points this morning, I've got six of them. They're on the back of the church bulletin there for you to watch as I go through. The Magi firstly find Jesus through prophecy. They've narrowed Jesus down to the land of Israel, but they need another clue. And so where do they go? They go to Jerusalem, which is logical. Uh, you think if you're looking for someone in a country, where would you start the search? The capital city. Where's the capital of Israel? Jerusalem. So it's no surprise that they come to Jerusalem and they may even expect Jesus to be in Jerusalem. If someone's going to be born, a very important person, it makes sense that they'd be born in a very rich area and the rich areas are usually in the capital and also a place with lots of good health care, people to look after you, the doctors. And so it's not surprising that they come to Jerusalem. And also Jerusalem would be the news hub if you're looking for someone, you go to an area where lots of people would know what's going on in the country. You don't go out into the sticks to a little town and ask for what's happening in the, in the country. They often don't know. These days, with the internet, of course, country people are probably a bit better informed. But in those days, it's more likely if you're going to need news, you go to the city. And so they go there and they look for further clues in Jerusalem. And what is the clue that is given there in Jerusalem to them? Well, it comes through a prophecy. They go to the king of uh, the king Herod. In verse 1 it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they're asking people around the place, Have you? Do you know where this king of the Jews is? And then, of course, they go to the most well-informed person of all, King Herod, verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. The king, he has the power to get information, and he's pulling the, the religious leaders together. Because they're the guys who must know where, if, a, if the saviour of the world, if the king of the Jews is coming, then he, they must know where he's going to be born. And how do they know? Well, they know through a prophecy. We see that in verse 5. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. These teachers of the law know where the king of the Jews is to be born, and how do they know? From a prophecy. From the prophet Micah, an Old Testament prophet, one of the minor prophets, not minor because he was, you know, lower on the pecking order, minor because he wrote a smaller book than some of the majors like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But he was not minor in his prophecy. He predicted where Jesus would be born. 
long before Jesus was actually born. He predicted where he would be born, and that was where? Verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. Bethlehem is the place where Jesus is to be born. And then Herod doesn't keep that information to himself. Verse 7, what do we see? He said, And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you may find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Last Christmas I spoke a little bit about Herod's deceptiveness there. Uh, We aren't going to go into that today, but at least he's sharing that information that he has with the Magi. So the Magi now have another clue. How'd they get that clue? Well, they got it from Herod. Where'd Herod get it from? Teachers of the law. Where'd the teachers of the law get it from? Prophecy. They got it from a prophecy. And so the Magi's have their next clue. They had the clue that the king of the Jews was in Israel. Next clue is he's in Bethlehem. And so they set off. But do they have any other clues to help them? They do have a clue that comes next. And that is through a miracle. And so that's my second main point this morning. My first was that the Magi find him through prophecy. The second is the Magi find Jesus through a miracle. Although the Magi have narrowed their search down to a town, it's still a town. And it's difficult to find people in a town as well, particularly before the white pages is invented. They can't thumb through. And would Jesus be listed under King of the Jews? Are they likely to see him there in the white pages? It's difficult for them to find him in this town. And particularly because this town is probably chockers with people at this point. What's been going on? A census. Everybody, Mary and Joseph included, have had to migrate back to their town of origin. There were so many people in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus had to be born? Had to be born in a stable, put into a manger. The inn was full. Just consider a country town, fairly large country town, but then there's some sort of conference going on there and every hotel room is booked out. And then you show up trying to find someone. Very difficult. They need another clue. They've had some clues. They've narrowed it down to country, narrowed it down to town. They need another clue. And thankfully, God gives them this clue. What is that clue? It's a miracle. What is that miracle? Well, it's a miracle that they've had before. But it's told to us in verse 9. After they, that's the Magi, had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. This miraculous star shows up and guides them to the exact place that Jesus is at. This is a miracle. This star had shown up before, but obviously it had disappeared. Now, people go into all kinds of explanations as to what this star is. Halley's Comet came by uh, the Earth this, uh, a few years around this point, and so people think, oh, it's a comet that went past. But this star is no ordinary star. I don't think we can look for some sort of scientific explanation as to what this star was because of the way it behaves in verse 9. What does it do? And the star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. No Halley's Comet ever does that. It doesn't travel along in front of you and then stop over a particular building. 
This is a miracle. This star that has come, and it's a very, very strong clue as to where the king of the Jews is. And of course, when they see this clue, what is the result? Verse 10. When they, the Magi, saw the star, they were overjoyed. And I don't blame them. This is a significant help to them in finding the king of the Jews. It's kind of like having a GPS. I love my GPS. Since I moved to the city, I don't know where anything is. I came from more country area. And so when we moved here, we bought a GPS. And it is wonderful. It's this little star is on the GPS and it moves with me and guides me to where I need to go. And that's pretty much what the Magi had. They had a very um, ancient GPS guiding them as to where they needed to go. And it's kind of like my GPS in some ways because sometimes my GPS drops out. Did you notice how the star was there in the east? Then they obviously lost it because they had to come to Jerusalem and then it jumped back in. My GPS is wonderful, I do like it, but there are occasions where it loses track of the satellite and I am up the creek uh, I haven't gone up a creek, but uh, I am up all kinds of roads as I try to work out where I am going. But then the GPS, of its own accord, finds where I am again and guides me to the place. And that's what this star was doing here. And so they are overjoyed, just like I am overjoyed, when my GPS starts to function again and I'm not going round and round in circles. So these magi, they find Jesus through a prophecy and through a miracle. What do they do then? What, what is the result of them finding Jesus? Do they simply uh, accept this prophecy, get excited about the miracle, and then go home? No, they do something when they get to Jesus, when they finally find him. And they do three things in particular. And that's what my third main point is this morning. The Magi find Jesus, then bow... Worship and give gifts. The Magi find Jesus, then bow, worship and give gifts. And we see that in verse 10, uh, verse 11, sorry. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they presented their tre- opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. The Magi firstly bow down to Jesus. What does it mean to bow down to someone? We in our culture don't seem to do it so much. We don't bow to people, but we do have a few Koreans in our church and they love to bow. They are always bowing uh, to certain people in the church and it is something that is a source of amusement to me in some ways, but it is something that I also am attracted to. It shows respect, bowing down to someone. And our Koreans, of course, bow to particularly the older men of the church. They tend to give them a bit of a nod. It's something that's habitual. I think they're starting to be trained out of it as they live here in Australia. But uh, some of the older men in the church I know really appreciate this little nod of the head that comes, this bowing that comes. But our Korean friends, they do not bow to children. They don't bow down to my son Joshua, give him a sign of respect. Why is that? because Joshua is not above them. They don't bow to children, they bow to people who are older to show respect. And that's what these magi are doing here. They are showing respect to someone who is greater than them, even though he's an infant. 
He's someone that no one is bowing to. But they know better. They know that he is a king and worthy of respect. What else do they do? They bow to show respect to him as king. Second thing they do is they worship him. Now, worship is a totally different matter to bowing. We bow to other people, but our Korean friends don't worship other people. Who do you worship? Worship is a particular activity dedicated to God. We don't worship anyone except either gods that we follow or our God if we're Christians. We worship God alone. We don't worship other people. And so when these magi bow and then worship Jesus, what are they saying? This is God. An infant, yes, but God. They are giving him something that is exclusive activity, an exclusive activity for God. And they are showing by their worship that they recognize that he is God. And then what do they do? Well, they give gifts. The third thing they do is they give gifts. They open their treasure chests, there in verse 11, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Giving gifts to someone shows importance of that person to you. And giving gifts to a king is something that is uh, done throughout the ages. We read from uh, Second Chronicles where the Queen of Sheba comes to the king of the Jews, King Solomon. And what does she do? She brings presents. You can't go to the king empty-handed. And so she brings all these uh, ointments, all these perfumes, and she brings gold to him. And here we see the same thing happening again. These magi bringing these gifts to him. And so these gifts are significant. They say something. We can learn from these gifts. Firstly, we can learn by the expense that they carry. They're expensive gifts that they are giving. And when we give expensive gifts to someone, it's showing how important that person is to us. Think of this Christmas and all the people that you're giving gifts to. Who are those that you spend the most on? You spend the most expense on? Is it the people at work that you spend the most on? Or is it your family that you spend the most on? You give expensive gifts to those who are very important to you. And so these gifts are indeed expensive. Gold, we all recognise, is expensive. And incense, also known as frankincense, is expensive as well. And myrrh, these are expensive types of perfumes. And I'm not um, one who buys perfume. I, you do use deodorant. I think every male should use deodorant. But I don't buy perfume. I don't wear aftershave. Uh, but I know women do, and women love to use the... Not use aftershave, they use perfume. Uh, but women who buy perfume do know the expense, and I know something of that from having a wife and from uh, my mother as well when I was young and how much she would pay for perfume as well. Perfume is expensive stuff, and this is expensive perfume that they are giving to Jesus. So it shows the importance of Jesus to them. The fact that they're giving gold and then expensive perfume to him. But also, I think we can learn from these gifts as to their significance because of the thought that goes into them. When you give a gift to someone, 
The more important that person is to you, the more thought you put into the present. Someone at work, you kind of, oh yeah, you walk into the shop, what can I get, uh, you know, quick, get it over with. Your mum you might pay a bit more attention to. Your wife, you think, yeah, what would she really like? What can I do for her? What gift would be really significant to give her? And these gifts, I think, do have some significance by what they are. Is it just what the Magi brought along for the trip? They thought, you know, um, oh, what can we take? And they sort of got things off the shelf back home. Now, I think there's some significance related to these. Now, some commentators, I think, draw out too much significance by the gifts, but I think uh, we can have some significance from what they are. Firstly, gold, well, that's fit for a king. Jesus is the king of the Jews, and if you're going to give someone something, I don't think anybody would knock back gold. It is pretty much the highest thing you can give, although some girls would go with diamonds, but they'd like the diamond put on some gold um, often. Gold is at the top of the list. If you're going to give something to someone and you can give them gold, go ahead. Give them gold. They will appreciate it. Secondly, what do they give? Incense or frankincense. What is frankincense? Can you go into a shop and buy some frankincense today? Uh, Frankincense isn't something we probably know too much about. Frankincense is used a lot in the Old Testament in a particular way. It's used for sacrifices. When you were to offer something to God, one of the offerings you could offer was a perfume, and that was frankincense. And so when they offer frankincense to Jesus, I think there is a link there to the sacrificial system and saying, you are God, we are offering a sacrifice to you, Jesus. You are our God, just as they have worshipped him, they are offering frankincense to him. And then myrrh. Myrrh, that's used for burials. So we see some significance linked there to his death. Later on he is uh, put in myrrh, Jesus, when he, um, his body is being wrapped up. And some people link very closely to that. But also myrrh is just used in festivals and weddings. And so this is a joyous occasion. And I think the Magi are expecting it to be a joyous occasion that they found the king of the Jews. And so it's right and proper that they would give him myrrh. So, this morning we've seen that the Magi find Jesus through prophecy, they find him through a miracle, and then they bow down, worship him, and give him gifts. What's the relevance for us today? This is all very well for the Magi, but what's the relevance for us? Well, wise men still seek Jesus. The wise men had to do hard work here to find Jesus, and if you are to find Jesus, you are going to have to do some hard work too. But he does give clues, just like he gave clues to these magi. And so that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. You can find Jesus through prophecy. The scriptures still prophesy about Jesus today. And you can read the prophecies in the Old Testament that predicted Christ, particularly his his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all predicted there in the scriptures. And you see them then fulfilled in the scriptures. So you see them predicted in the old, you see them fulfilled in the new. How do they help you to find Jesus though, reading those and seeing them fulfilled? Well, if something written hundreds of years before it is fulfilled shows that the person who spoke was very supernatural and that God was speaking through them. These old writings, we have copies of them before Jesus was born, dated before Jesus was born. And they know what he's going to do. 
which shows God speaks to man and that Jesus is the one you should be following. The prophecies are something that I as a Christian stake my life upon. They show Jesus and that God is there and that he speaks. And that I can trust what he says because he shows that he is true by his predictions. And so you too can find Jesus by reading the prophecies in the Old Testament and seeing them fulfilled in the New Testament and have heart that Jesus is the one that he claims to be. How else can you find Jesus? Well, my fifth main point is you can find Jesus through miracles. Lots of people claim to be Jesus. Uh, Maybe you haven't met too many of them, but um, that's because they're usually um, kept away from uh, polite society. Um, But people do claim to be Jesus. They claim to be God himself. How do you know they're not God? Well, if they start doing some pretty miraculous stuff, you might start to question whether they are God. If they start doing really supernatural things, your brain may start to think, hmm, what is with this person? And that's what we see with Jesus. Jesus claimed to be God, but he didn't just claim that out of the blue. He did many miracles, miraculous signs that pointed to the fact that he is indeed God. We see those in the New Testament. We see him heal people miraculously. We see him feed many people. We see him walk on water. We see him calm uh, storms. Many miracles that point to the fact that he is indeed God. And then one great miracle, one great star that you can look at to know that Jesus is God, his resurrection from the dead. That is a miracle that I have to say is the reason I am a Christian. If you can show me that the resurrection didn't happen, that the miracle of Jesus raising himself to life didn't happen, I'll stop being a Christian. But I think the New Testament is a reliable eyewitness account of the fact that that miracle is something that did indeed happen and that you can stake your life, your soul upon it as well. You can follow that miracle with your whole life. The miracle of the resurrection. It's not a star hovering over someone's place, but it's a miracle, the greatest miracle, that a man came back to life, brought himself back to life. That is a miracle by which you can find Jesus. And I encourage you to do that today. Stake your life on it now. Then what do you do once you find Jesus? Well, you do what these magi did. What did they do? They bowed down, firstly. And that's from my sixth main point. You can find Jesus, then bow, worship, and give gifts. They bowed down. Now, you can't bow down in the way that these magi did, but you can bow right now to Jesus Christ. And that's what we do as Christians. We bow our heads and we pray to him. We acknowledge him as one greater. Sometimes we kneel. Sometimes we go fully flat on our face. If you're particularly concerned about something, yeah, you will go prostrate before God. And you should worship him. They bowed and they worshipped. You acknowledge that Jesus is God and worship him. How do you worship Jesus? Well, you start with repentance and faith. You repent of your sins, you turn away from your sins, and you acknowledge that he is God. You believe that he is the one who has come to die for you. That's how you worship God. And then what do you do? You give gifts. 
How do you give gifts? Do you give gold, incense, frankincense and myrrh? Not necessarily. Uh, You can give gold. Uh, You can give to the work of God's kingdom. Uh, uh, It's often said that the last thing to be converted of any Christian is his wallet. And I think there's some truth to that. Uh, We are supposed to give gifts. We're supposed to be like these magi and give gifts. And so we give money to the work of his kingdom. God accepts our money and then uses it for the advancement of his kingdom. But we also give our time and our energy, the gifts that God has given us, the skills that we have. We can use them for God's glory. In fact, we give our whole selves, whatever we have, we say, God, would you use it for yourself? Jesus, take it. Take it and use it for your glory. So, are you like these wise men? Have you found Jesus through the prophecies? Have you read the Old Testament prophecies and read their fulfilment in the New Testament and been encouraged by them? Have you found Jesus through his miracles, particularly his resurrection from the dead? It is like that star. It is a miracle. And it is one by which you can find that Jesus is the true one, the one you can trust in. And it should give you great joy. What did the Magi do when they saw that star? Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It's hard to express that in English, but it's like joy upon joy. There's lots of joy. It's like three words used in the Greek to express that joy. The resurrection brings great joy because you know that Christianity is true and not false. It is not stupidity to be a Christian. It is following a definite miracle. Do you stake your life upon the prophecies and the miracles of Jesus? If not, why not? Is it because you're not willing to look at the evidence? You don't want to consider whether Jesus is the answer. If that's you, I encourage you not to be so foolish. At least give Jesus a hearing. Read the New Testament. I've got copies at the door there of of Luke's Gospel and I'd love to give you one today. And you can go away and read the account there about Jesus and the miracles he did and particularly his resurrection from the dead. I encourage you to look at the evidence. See if Jesus is the one he claims to be. And if you have found Jesus, you claim to be a Christian, do you do what these wise men do? Do you bow before Jesus? In prayer, do you come before him regularly, acknowledging who he is? Do you worship Jesus through repentance and faith, believing that he is the God and and the God who saves you from your sins and repenting, saying sorry for your sins again and again? And do you give Jesus gifts fit for a king? Or do you withhold gifts from him? You don't put expense and thought into the gifts like these magi did. You treat Jesus like he's someone at work. You get him a present from the reject shop and you know, think that's, that'll settle him for the year. Is that how you treat Jesus? Jesus is worth far more than that. He demands everything that you are. Are you willing to give it? Because he gave everything that he is at the cross for you. He hung on that cross and died for you. Are you going to withhold anything from him? Or are you going to be like these magi? 
and give him expensive, thoughtful gifts that can advance his kingdom. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what we can learn from your word today about the clues that you have given us for Jesus' existence and the truth to what he says, that we can read the prophecies, that we can read about the miracles he did and particularly the miracle of the resurrection. Lord, we pray that we may not be so foolish as to ignore the evidence that Jesus is the one. We pray that everyone in this room may come to Jesus regularly, bowing before him, worshipping him, and giving their entire lives to him. Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning that hasn't done that. We pray that you may humble them before you, show them the way, give them more clues, help them to read your word and study it so they can see that Jesus really is the answer to their sins. He is the way of salvation from eternal punishment in hell to eternal life in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.